Hey, Piers, it's Michelle. I've got some exciting news. The Piers Project has just produced a podcast for Red by Moddy Body, the iconic period underwear brand for tweens and teens. In this new podcast series, The Red Tales, we share stories celebrating the messy and iconic parts of our teenage years and bodies. Every fortnight, we'll be joined by a young Aussie who isn't afraid to open up, laugh and celebrate the time they got their first period, stood up to their first bully and recovered from their first heartbreak. So make sure to tune in now to our podcast for Moddy Body, The Red Tales, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just head straight to the link in this episode's description. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, Peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, Peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. You know what they say, Peers? It pays to be surrounded by different cultures, opinions, and people. In fact, it's what helps us evolve. No one knows this best than today's guest. I'm super excited to welcome Eva Chan onto the show today. Eva is the co-founder of LaunchBop, a venture studio dedicated to helping founders kickstart their different big ideas. She's also a 2017 Forbes 30 Under 30 listee. I can't wait to talk to Eva today about her incredible journey and how the power of diversity has shaped her career to date. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the amazing Eva Chan. Eva. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Awesome. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and all the phenomenal work you've done in the entrepreneurial space, in business, and as an entrepreneur over the last couple of years, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. (laughs) That's flattering. Thank you. (laughs) So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'm Canadian, born and raised in Toronto, um, and I actually moved to LA three years ago because of LaunchPop. Um, I come from a design background, knowing nothing about business, you know, finance or any of, you know, product development until actually like third year university and wanting to branch out and survive. Um, And long story short, over the course of seven years, that journey to wanting to know more and expand had led me to becoming this person who loves to launch ideas, you know, organize chaotic thoughts and turn them into very tangible, um, let's say, products and experiences that people can experience. And then so now I'm in L.A. just helping a lot of founders realize their ideas. 
Amazing. It's so cool. And when I realized that you were Canadian, I just looked back into, did a bit of digging in your LinkedIn. And I was like, oh, that's awesome that you've been able to kind of move around and you're from there, obviously. And I always feel like Aussies and Canadians get along very well. So, um, oh, totally. yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> we're the best people in I the world. I agree. Like, seriously. <laughs> um, no, so I love that. So, look, I want to dive obviously a lot deeper into your work and all the businesses you've built. But before we do, I'd like to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what was it like growing up in Canada? You know, what were you like as a child? And how do you think this has impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, super, super cool. I love that you asked that because now that I'm outside of Toronto, outside of my home and you know, what I'm super comfortable seeing all of my life is very different outside. You know, going to New York is very different. Going to San Francisco, LA, very different. And what I really appreciate about my upbringing in Toronto is that, you know, ever since I was a kid, I was surrounded by diversity. Um, in a room, in a classroom, in a restaurant, you're always surrounded by, let's say, like five, seven different cultures all coming from somewhere else. All their parents immigrated to Toronto, and we as kids all grew up in this household that was all about, like, working hard and, you know, dreaming and, um, you know, balancing what's realistic and considered a dream. And so I thought that was super cool. Um, It made me, you know, someone that appreciated diversity, wanted to nurture diversity. Um, I don't view um, people any less if they weren't part of what I was used to. Um, So I think that perspective is really important. And um, now that I'm outside of Toronto, I really, you know, appreciate that kind of environment that that was present back then. So fascinating, isn't it? I think it really does shape you know, for, for you, it was ever it was just diversity. You were like, this is normal, people from different backgrounds, yeah. you know, all of that. And it really does shape, sure. yeah, kind of how you see the world. And then when you go to new places, you're like, oh, wow, it's not really similar to this. And, you know, how did you find kind of, firstly, what age were you when you moved to the US? And then how did you find that difference in diversity and maybe accepting um, people from different cultures? Right. So I moved here when I was 28. And at that time, I think I already have, you know, a a group of friends, you know, that you've grew up with and you've gone through a lot with them. That's your circle, right, back at home. Um, And I think when you um, move to another country, you have to rebuild a lot of that. You know, like you, people sometimes define home as not just your physical space, but home as in who is, you know, your comfort, your your go-to, your homie, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, when you move to a new country or a city, you don't have that anymore. You do, right? You have Skype, you have FaceTime, but it's different. And so I think having a diverse upbringing and being surrounded by diversity, I think being in a new city allowed me to bring some of that comfort that allowing people in or opening doors, creating community, um, not being afraid to have other personalities around me. I think that was key to kind of you know, embedding myself into a new city for sure. Yeah. So interesting. So fascinating. I want to now kind of dive a bit deeper into the time, like straight out of kind of teenage years into, you know, university and deciding what it was that you actually wanted to do. So obviously you'd grown up in this really diverse place in Toronto. You'd, you know, you got, you had your homies around you the whole time. And then, you know, you, you decided to head off to college. You know, you studied at OCAD University in Toronto, which is Canada's biggest art and design school. Pretty cool. You did Bachelor of Design. You know, what was that time like for you there? What do you think you learned about yourself in your college days? Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, I came from like an immigrant family and I'm Asian. So there's, you know, this stereotype that um, as an Asian child, immigrant family, your, your, your tiger mommy is like pushing you to be, 
the accountant or the lawyer or a doctor so that you don't, you know, stay poor, you help the family move forward kind of thing. And I think I was really, really lucky in my upbringing that I, I did have a tiger mommy, but um, <laughs> I think she was more supportive of me being happy. And she, you know, understood that I was a creative person and I wanted to go on down the path of creating graphics and art and just being a designer. And I'm not sure if they recognize the type of income that you draw in as a designer. (laughs) Um, Maybe that was just their like naive nature, but um, definitely the salaries were very different from being a, a lawyer or a doctor. So anyways, I did head into design and uh, very thankfully, parents were very supportive of that path. But I think when I began to mature, you know, going into the field and really understand the industry, I, I quickly realized, you know, I had to do more than just what I was passionate about, you know, just like painting all day with watercolor. I had to do more than that. And I, I think there was like this moment in my third year where I realized something um, that I had to do more. I, I literally showed up in my morning class at 9 a.m. after an all, all-nighter painting this piece that took me 13 hours and my eyes were bloodshot. Um, I went into the class and realized, like, what am I doing? I'm not enjoying this anymore. You know, if I turn this into a career, this is not where joy comes in and I'm not producing great work as a result so I, I stuck. And so that was when I realized I need to expand on my skill set. And I don't know, I just one day walked into another campus by OCAD um, and walked into a, uh, an accounting class and, and just sat down. And I had a friend in the class, obviously. And so by sitting down and just obviously didn't understand a single word coming out of the professor. Um, I I still thought that was great because it opened my eyes to a whole different world. I realized, you know, even being a designer, you have to understand the other skill sets to growing your practice, growing your business. And unfortunately, you know, in some of these uh, schools, they don't teach that side. And and this is, I think, where my entire journey began. Um, I started hanging out at the other schools that talked about business, uh, talked about engineering. I was very intrigued by that. And then uh, embedded myself into the student groups there <laughs> um, by, in exchange, offering my you know graphics, graphic skills to build posters, promote the workshops that they were hosting in these student groups. Um, and eventually, one of the startups, the, the founders that you know, was leading a workshop, they needed a designer. Um, and, and so I joined. Uh, I was making shit money. <laughs> uh, I swear I was in debt working for the company. <laughs> Just from the mere, like, commuting cost and eating lunch and just living um, cost me more, but I was so thrilled. I was so happy to be expanding on my skill set. I started to see how, you know, my, my love for creativity and graphic could expand in a parallel way. And, you know, just being in a startup, I think everyone's very familiar with wearing multiple hats. Um, that's needed with a small team, a bootstrap company, you know, you enter the company as a designer, but you also learn how to do customer service. You you learn a bit of code. <laughs> yeah, it was really, I think, through that journey that really opened my eyes to this whole world of startup, the definition of it. Um, who knew what that was a long time ago? <laughs> yes, yeah, so fascinating. There you go. It's, um, I think it often is that we have those kind of pivotal moments where we're like, hang on, everything we thought we wanted or everything we thought, you know, that, yeah, that we've been striving for for years just isn't actually kind of, doesn't actually fulfill me anymore. And maybe that's actually not what I want, you know, and I think, I think I'd love to, you know, I'd love to know like what, what piece of advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe they were in a similar position to you? You know, maybe right now they're sitting there going, I just, 
thought this was going to be different. Maybe they've started an internship in their, in their chosen field, or maybe they're still at uni trying to, you know, in their third year or whatever it is. You know, what advice would you give around navigating the time where you feel really stuck? Mm-hmm. Um, I get this question a lot, not just from students, um, even, you know, friends in their 30s. You know, it's a it's a huge question that uh, we constantly experience, and we might find excitement in one uh, direction for a little bit, and then realize you're stuck again. For me, I think you know, very similar to launching a company, I don't think there's such thing as a failure. You you quote unquote fail if you just stop. Um, so you know, applying that kind of like mindset, you know, in, in like that journey, like you, you don't, you don't get stuck unless you're, you want to be stuck. And if you do quote unquote feel stuck, uh, don't stop, you know, like hold on to the things that you know is constant. I think understanding what's constant and what's understanding what you really, really care about. It could be just a really small part of what you're doing. Launch pop started because, you know, I realized I, I like the very early stages of a company. Um, I realized there's a huge need for that. And there's a lot of fulfillment, at least on my end, to help someone navigate a very chaotic, fuzzy time in their life or their company and help them build something over time to show them a very like tangible next step um, a, a thinking that is makes sense on the long term and really taking the steps to like slowly build it into something that's very tangible. Um, I realized that's where, where I thrive and that's okay. And I, I threw away everything else. Like I don't want to be someone that's an expert in, you know, high growth for a company. I'm not going to try and pretend that I am. It's okay to say no to it and then just keep diving deeper into something else. And with, uh, design at OCAD back then, OCAD, I realized I hated, you know, being this person that was at the end of the line, you know, just the the strategy is already done and I'm just here being a monkey finishing it off and then bringing it to life. And so understanding what you don't like as part of the process is equally important to know what you do like and then build a path closer to the path that you like and expand on what can happen with what you do like. Such great advice. I just think so many of us need to hear it, you know, and I think, you know, we may just feel like, oh, we're just so stuck and we're never going to get out of it and how we, you know, but it's literally looking at, okay, I'm choosing to be stuck right now and I actually have the ability to go, hey, let's not be stuck and let's look at those different options. Let's look at the things we love in the process or in the world that we're in. Let's look outside of that world. And maybe as you did back in the day when you were at college or uni, you know, you partnered up with the engineering guys and the business guys and you made it happen. You know, I think it's it's being resourceful there. So I love that you pointed that out. Awesome. So look, I want to dive deeper into the first kind of real job you had in the working world. So from what I've read, I think, I'm not sure if you alluded to this already, but from what I've read, you know, at 22, you joined Canada's first beauty box subscription called Luxbox as their creative director. You know, talk to us a little bit about how that opportunity came about. Was that through that business society you were in? And and then, you know, what that first experience was like in the working world and startup land. Yeah. So that's exactly the first company I uh, joined through the student groups and I uh, was probably in debt (laughs) working for them. And I think the biggest takeaway here for all of those who are one stuck and two curious about still curious about what they should do um, is that at that time I was busier than ever, busier than when I was in school. Why? Because I invited all of that. I wanted it. I took on work, you know, for friends and uh, others who have ideas and other companies, like 
work for real estate agents and like I just took work anywhere and um, the money wasn't the priority uh, building a company for myself or a brand for myself wasn't the priority it was really learning how to build up the skill sets to interact with someone, for example, building up the skill sets to see where my worth is, to see, uh, to validate if my work is valuable to someone. And I think doing that made me busier than ever, but I had no money. But slowly I was building a brand just just through focusing on value for others, value for others. And so, anyhow, yeah, I joined that company and... I was very, very shy, you know, as a designer, you can, Asian designer, very quiet. I would go into my lecture rooms in the corner, be the first one to leave. I was that type of person going out. And when I first joined the startup, I I felt very shy and I was so thankful for the opportunity. And, you know, I would sit in those meetings you know, someone would be, the finance uh, team member will be talking about the margins or uh, the, the revenue for this quarter and EBITDA and like all these terms I did not understand. Um, and so you can imagine all the things that I knew were only about design. And I thought, you know, that's important already. But for me, I didn't feel like that was important enough. I couldn't add value to the meetings. And that I craved that so much because I knew I hated being at the end of that, the the line to just execute. And so what do I need to do to add value on the top of the line? Um, I need to understand what people are saying. I need to understand what others are doing. And so in those meetings, when there were terms I didn't understand, I write them down. I would actually spend my time in the meetings just writing um, and really understanding what everyone's saying. And then when I left the meeting, I Google everything. <laughs> Honestly, Google's the best resource out there. That's my best teacher. <laughs> Fast forward, you know, like, let's say, I think it was like the third quarter of uh, my time there. We, we would have these like quarterly meetings and retreats together as teams. And each team member would shoot out like a report of some sort. And I remember that quarter, I, I said something uh, that was for some reason in, more insightful than they imagined, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. And the the founder and CEO at the time emailed me after and, and said, hey, you know, you should speak up more because your thoughts are valuable, blah, blah. And, you know, it's such a simple act, but, you know, it was actually very impactful to someone that was very new to the space, very uh, scared to share their opinion. And because he did that, I I felt more empowered to think critically and I felt empowered to speak up. And and that was the start of kind of me branching out from just design. Um, I was now sitting more and more in board meetings, um, brainstorming meetings, just because I was just thinking a lot. (laughs) They wanted like a third point of view. So, so that was interesting being there. So interesting. I just think that there's so many points there that you mentioned, but I think the key one is literally just that speaking up and actually just, you know, going away. If you, if you are too afraid to, to speak up initially, actually doing a bit of work in the background, you know, and actually learning some things that you can then, you know, talk about, which I think is just so valuable. And so many of us, are so afraid to, I guess. What advice would you give to our peers out there listening who are just really afraid? They just, they feel like they are in their early 20s or maybe they're heading into a new industry in their late 20s or 30s and they don't know much about it. They don't really know what's going on. They feel like maybe they've gotten the role added because of chance or whatever. You know, what, what advice would you give around gaining the confidence to just to speak up yeah that's an interesting one and it's I think it's like a huge practice I like to call it a practice because it doesn't come overnight right and so you know like for a role for example if you're I don't know a a product manager or a, a marketing coordinator and there's these skill sets that you need to fulfill the role and you know, if you see someone else do it and you feel like you're a distance away from that type of person that you think is truly for that role, I would just write a list down 
and what you think the gaps are. And this is for no one to see. I think it's just an internal kind of honesty session and just doesn't matter. Like whatever you think, put it down on the list on what you think is the gap. It could be things like being able to articulate my thoughts, having the confidence to say something in a meeting um, or being more analytical, for example. Um, Just write all those things down and tackle them one by one. It's really, really scary and hard to know what to do when you think of confidence and speaking up as a whole. I think when you break it down, then you can work on it and then build a plan. Like, how can I work on being more analytical, for example? You can map it with, you know, um, webinars from X company or um, reaching out to this person on LinkedIn who is an expert and does this every day, just analytics, and talk to them about that world. Learn the language first. And when you start mapping these things out, suddenly you have an action plan. Um, You have things that you can cross off, which is very empowering, Um, And you can have more energy every time something's crossed off. And then honestly, like as a a manager, they also want you to do well and they want you to be successful. And I think the the last thing they want to see is you not being successful. They want to know and learn how to create an environment where you can thrive. And so if you did get the job already, you know, for example, uh, and you're building a rapport and a relationship with your manager, you can share that checklist with him or her. Whatever you're comfortable sharing, you don't have to share all of it. And talk about it with him and her and build a plan together because you never know, maybe they can make intros to you. They could spend, you know, one-on-one sessions every week with you to talk about some of the topics put you in places that help you gain those skill sets that maybe the core company doesn't have. So just just take it step mm. by step. Step by step. I love it. That was really great, tangible advice. Really excited. Hopefully everyone has taken away as much as I have from that. Um, great. So look, I want to dive into business. So you said, you know, that you started getting involved in meetings and boardrooms and started, you know, chatting to the finance people and whatnot and really just were in those meetings to help brainstorm. You know, your first business was Exact Media. You know, how long did you, like, when did you launch that? What was the intent around that? And talk to us about those kind of early struggles getting that that business off the ground. Wow, this is an interesting story. So my the very, very first job I got, which is Luxbox, this beauty subscription company, was founded by two males, individuals who had an engineering background. And uh, the one co-founder that was still part of the company, he funded everything, his family supported him. We eventually sold that company. But as a factor of you know, being part of that entire journey, all the highs and lows and building trust trust with each other. We actually spun out of that company with four co-founders. So it was myself, that, that CEO at that time, and then two other individuals that were also part of that first company. And the way we built this exact media was us sitting in the boardroom and just really analyzing, hey, what do we do very well? And what do we do very poorly? And uh, what is our advantage right now based on all the relationships that we've built, all of the branding that we've built? What can we make? What are some of the company ideas that can come out from that um, as a result? And what we learned is, you know, beauty subscription box company, you have to hold a lot of inventory, warehousing, you have to pick and pack it. That itself, you have to ship it too. Um, That itself is a huge cost. What we were good at from Luxbox is that we built a lot of relationship with brands, really credible brands um, like, you know, L'Oreal, P&G, and they need to target customers online. And they're having a, a lot of trouble finding the right customers and getting it into their hands and learning about their customers. How do they react to their product, etc. That's why the beauty box subscription existed. They wanted feedback 
on on how their products were doing. So we were really good at that, building relationships with these larger companies. And then the other side is this like design experience. Um, we knew sampling. That was a category we were like an expert in because of the first company. Um, and so that's how Exact Media was born. We decided to push out the holding of inventory, any shipping of our uh, costs that we should hold. And then um, what can we do? So we became a network that helped companies like L'Oreal match their sampling with e-commerce companies that were already shipping boxes out. And e-commerce companies have so much data about their customers. There's a certain type of customer that shops at Best Buy, a certain type that shops at Walmart, Guilt.com, Zulily, and you can create profiles of those customers. And so we actually partnered up with e-commerce companies and partnered up with brands. And what we did was we just facilitated the programs, uh, facilitated the campaigns, facilitated the shipments um, from one warehouse to the other. And so we held zero inventory. Uh, we were just helping make the right match and helping to circle back with the right data, the data piece. And so this company exploded. It was, <laughs> it was very interesting. I, I never knew so many samples existed in this world. <laughs> there are so many Tide Pods in this world. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, in our first year, it was just the four of us. Uh, we, you know, we were just in our old office and it literally, over the course of three months, we exploded into New York, Cincinnati, three cities. Our team members grew from four to like 50 team members. And just the growth itself was very hard. Um, how do you build culture? How do you manage your finances? How do you, how do you manage a company in Canada and New West? There were a lot of back-end work that we didn't understand, um, and we had to learn it very fast. So th that, that was really cool. And, you know, like when a company is growing really fast, uh, people come and go, and, you know, roles become irrelevant when you reach another next stage of a company, you know, a very early-stage company versus a high-growth company requires a very different skill set. And so, you know, at first we may have someone you know, just coming out of school, but literally in six months, we needed someone who worked for L'Oreal before, as an example. And so those changes were very, very fast and culture was affected. You know, how do you maintain culture when you have people rolling in and out so fast? And how do you maintain talent when, you know, you have to make sure they can grow into the role that might uh, require them to grow really fast as the company is growing too? <laughs> huge wow oh my goodness it's it's just I've, what I find really fascinating about you and really interesting about you is that the fact that it's always that you wanted to you always kind of led with your ideas you went down the path that you were like yeah this feels right like I, I actually after you guys sold off the initial company you could have been like okay cool like now I'll just maybe go into a design role at a big firm or maybe I'll do xyz but you decided to know you know let's stick at it and that's all worked together to create this thing that ended up being a monster amazing a, a huge you know growth growth company and experience for you you know just on that point there before we dive into the the growth aspect. I guess the question I'm, I'm wanting to ask is, is it best for us to follow our gut? And if so, how can we do that? You know what I hate? I hate when, <laughs> and I'm going to answer your question, but I have to get this off my chest. I hate when people try to start a company based on money first and say, you know, for example, like phone case companies, I'm going to make a lot of money selling phone cases versus someone that says, hey, I want to change the world and show someone a different way to get their multivitamins. And it doesn't have to be in a capsule form. It could be in a raw form. You can bite it, eat it, enjoy it. That's a mission-based company. And, you know, to your question, I think it's um, building something and doing anything takes time. It never happens overnight. And that journey, there's, it's not going to happen linear in a linear way. It's going to happen like this. It's a roller coaster. Um, <laughs> yes. Very emotional. 
right? Not not just, you know, emotional stress from yourself, but emotional stress from the outside world. And so people never talk like talk enough about like the emotional journey of going from A to B. If you just look after money, you're not going to have the type of energy or like the extra oomph from your passion helping you trek along the whole journey. If you start by something that you love and something that like is so deep and um, almost beyond yourself, there's the extra oomph that you'll always get when times are really low. That's going to help you get through like five years, ten years. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and I couldn't agree more. That was really well said. Okay, cool. So let's talk a bit about then, you know, you take us back to that time, you know, you guys were growing so fast. You, you then had to deal with culture issues and problems and people coming in and out of the company. You know, when was it that you decided, Hey, maybe this isn't for me. And then, you know, your idea for launch pop kind of came about. Yeah. So what's funny is, you know, I thought I just wanted to make money, save money, buy a home, fulfill some of my parents' <laughs> Finally you know, fulfilled. goals yeah. about me, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think, like, a lot of people aim for that, like, six-figure, you know, salary. And I got it. I was granted it. Um, and, you know, I would say I was making more than just being a designer. And I felt great. But... Over time, you know, it's incredible how fast that feeling fades, um, how fast you realize money and all of that means nothing. (laughs) It means something. Of course, we all need to survive. But maybe for some of us or many of us, when you reach that and you realize it doesn't mean a lot, it's really empty. And so that's when I, you know, started to go on this journey to understand like what makes me happy why am I here if I'm not happy and it had nothing to do with individuals that were at the company nothing at all it's just the state of the company it was already you know doing very well um the company was growing year after year and I was like why am I not happy um I think this is a point where people feel a lot of guilt you know feeling that way you are doing so well why are you not happy you're so not like you know like calm down (laughs) (laughs) but it's okay it's okay like you have to be real with yourself and this is where depression happens if you don't allow yourself to feel it and so I went on a journey to like understand why I was feeling this way and at what interactions made me feel you know, the energy again. And so it was really in my evenings when I had coffee with others, um, other founders, early stage companies. We, I used to just have coffee with them between like, I don't know, like five, eight o'clock evenings. Um, and I used to get so excited. Um, the fact that they're taking this first step, get so excited about their ideas, get so excited, just like bouncing thoughts and, and seeing you know, their eyes open when I can shed some of my experience with them, shed some of my, you know, learnings with them. And I realized, like, I need to do something else. Like, the fact that I feel so much energy from this, there's something else needs to happen. And yeah, so that's when I decided I I needed to leave, think of a whole new idea. And that's where Launchpop was born. Amazing. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about Launchpop. What is it? You know, what do you guys do? And then, you know, what were those early days like? You know, I see you've got a co-founder now. Was the business based in New York? I'm not too sure, but yeah, give us the glimpse. Yes. Yes. I'll give you the download. So it all happened in my apartment um, from 5 to 1 a.m., Uh, my co-founder and I were still at our respective companies and we were actually best friends we're like you know the chicks that go to clubs on a Friday and we march in past the bouncers past the lineup because we just feel so powerful beside each other that's us (laughs) 
So we're like besties, you know, like we were so scared to start a company together. Uh, We were so scared to um, put our friendship at risk. So it really took like three, five months to think of ideas. We knew we wanted to be together doing something. People thought we were lesbians because we (laughs) wanted each other so bad. (laughs) So I think we straightened that out now. Oh, man. But yeah, like it was in our evenings and basically in the way LaunchPop started was really, really organically. We didn't even know this could be an idea. But uh, one of our uh, friends from San Francisco, which is the first company we've ever launched, he came to us after uh, a trip in Korea and he had brought back this brown bottle and he had told us, hey, you check this out, smell it, drink it. And then we're like, what is this? It smells like shit pardon my sorry but it really did and tasted horrible and we're like what is this he's like everyone drinks this in korea they drink it at night before bedtime and it's a hangover solution this is how they work hard and play hard in korea and sometimes they have to because it's like half work so he was wondering like why doesn't this exist in our culture in north america and we drink a lot too. We work hard too. And, you know, he's the product manager um, at the time at um, like a t- huge tech startup and our tech company, not startup. And he needed help because he didn't understand anything about branding, marketing. And during our evenings for five months, my co-founder and I worked in our bedroom, my apartment from like five to one. It was just so excited, so energetic and just started building this company. And what happened was, you know, before we actually launched to market, we decided to post the product on Product Hunt. So it's this platform where a lot of tech companies launch their apps and they get feedback from very credible, like first adopters in the community and tech. And they genuinely just want feedback and ask, have people ask questions about the product. And so it was interesting. It's like a drink, but we positioned it as a tech product for the tech industry and launched it on Product Hunt, wanting people to ask questions so we can iterate on our brand. But overnight, actually, it started trending. People started asking a lot of questions. Um, people started upvoting the product in productivity category and also food and um, drink category and um, I think when your product does well in your launch you end up in a newsletter and that newsletter goes to press it goes to investors who are looking out for new products out there and we had scheduled to actually launch an Indiegogo campaign to help him raise money to get his first manufacturing done but before launching that he already had two investors really interested in his product and his mission. And then at the launch of Indiegogo, we were 100% funded in our first hour. Wow. Um, and Amazing. I think at that time that was $150,000 wow. in one hour. Um, so <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. You know, it definitely provided some validation on our work, some validation of our partnership um, with my co-founder and I. And emails started to trickle in. Uh, people were wondering who launched this company. And, you know, I always say this, we weren't even a, a company yet. It was just an email at gmail.com. <laughs> you know, but, you know, we took calls. We uh, started asking people questions like, what are your needs? Like, blah, blah, blah. And we realized there's a huge need out there for you know, very early stage companies, founders with ideas, they're usually single founders, you know, just an individual with an idea. And they may have some money, you know, from family, friends, but they need people. They don't have money to hire people. They need to use that money to launch their product and validate it. And so the capital is really, really little at this stage to hire experts. And so we realized there was a need to, to kind of fill that gap And I remember we, like, packed our bags, uh, flew out to L.A., got a studio in Venice for a month. And from there, like, we rented a car when we landed. 
went to our meetings and we never went back. (laughs) (laughs) Our our first year, you know, we we helped anyone and everyone and we didn't really understand who we are just yet. But, you know, whatever services were, I guess, whatever skill sets were that were gapped to the founder, we wanted to fill. And a lot of times that founder is very product oriented and so they would focus on building the product. But the gap in skill set is that you don't know anything about marketing, community building, you know, building their own brand, pitching to an investor, you know, building a website, photography, videography. We did everything. We did not make money in our first year <laughs> because we were so unfocused. <laughs> We did skincare, fashion, cannabis, cryptocurrency, you know, everything. (laughs) But that was part of the journey, you know, like, long story short, now we know what we are. We now we know what we're good at, what we won't do. So LaunchPop is a venture studio. We um, vet founders that we think um, have high potential So them as an individual, you know, are you doing this as a side gig or a full time, you know, are you dedicating it all into this? Then obviously we want to take founders who are dedicating it all and product, you know, like what kind of mission are you on? Um, Are you looking to disrupt something that exists or are you trying to shape a whole new culture that we've never experienced before? And if it's one of those two, and if it's helping someone, let's say a millennial, a space that we really, really know, then let's get together and figure this out, right? And and uh, basically, you know, we take care of everything from researching, understanding the market, your competitors, direct, indirect, um, to, you know, building out that brand, what is your voice, to how your website should be and building it, the website, so not only do we consult, we actually do it. Um, we we have the team doing the shoot, the videography. We build communities. So as this founder is really figuring out their product, before they have it ready, let's build a community first. Build a group of people who believe in your mission and have them as your soundboard. They would love to follow your journey and see behind the scenes, you know, contribute to like how the flavor should be, which flavor should be pushed out first. Where do you think you're going to use this? Is it in your bathroom or in your kitchen? So all of that affects, you know, how you create your packaging, your experience, the format. And so all the way up until, you know, our number one goal for this founder is that, you know, not only do they have a brand, but we have a site, they've, they've created a community, they're driving some traction, um, which is some sales, and they validate it that there's a fit here for this demographic and this value prop that they're pushing out. And then we create a deck together. This is not something we put on paper, but this is something we know is going to help them move to the next level. So we create a deck together. We make intros to investors to them um, so that they can raise their first round. That's the ultimate journey. (laughs) Wow, that is the ultimate journey. I um... (laughs) am... I just find it so fascinating and I love how just even when you speak about it, you can just feel the passion and I think it, it just, it really does, you know, it does come down to that, you oh, know, that the, yeah, it, it does come down to, you know, that thing of, of just actually not being a, afraid to pivot in your life in business and I think, you know, over the course of the last seven years, you personally, you've launched over 15 companies, which is absolutely incredible. You know, yourself, you've you've received countless awards and recognition for your work. You were listed on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. You're a finalist of the Young Emerging Category for EY's Entrepreneur of the Year. Just phenomenal achievements. And knowing that you've done this all the while, you know, all the while staying grounded and staying true to your mission, your personal mission, what you want to achieve and your passion. And so, yeah, I just, I really just want to take that moment to acknowledge you for what you've done and and you know you you really do just show us that we can actually go out there and do what we love and we can pivot like it's okay we can change it up it's okay yeah, yeah exactly so if you yeah. if you love something you'll you'll have the energy to like keep going but also you'll have the energy to figure out 
a model that helps you make money. Yes. Bingo. I love it. Oh, <laughs> Eva, it's been so great to chat with you. I, yeah, I just find, Me I found too. this. Yay. I love it. I think you I've have just, all the best questions. <laughs> <laughs> Purely because the, they're very, I, like, not like, you know, conventional <laughs> business podcast. <laughs> but I love like that you bring out some of the vulnerability and the dark side of this world and people need to know it. Oh, no, thank you. And I just, to be honest with you, it's, you know, myself being a first-time business owner also, it's all the questions that I think I personally just really want to know. And then obviously thinking about the community here at the Peers Project, you know, what do our peers really want to learn from amazing humans like yourself who've done the journey, who've been through it all and, you know, and and can just shed light on, on what's going on. So I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Look, our final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Wow, there's a, I think uh, when you enjoy something, um, and I think you already touched on this, is that you can see it and you can see the enjoyment, right? And so if you can share that energy out there, and influence uh, someone else to do that, uh, take on a path that's really scary, but know that at the end of the day, you'll be able to figure it out. And the uh, that path is a happier path ultimately. I think that's the value of this journey for me. Love it. Eva, ladies and gentlemen, oh my goodness, we have had a blast. Where can people learn more about you and LaunchPop? So LaunchPop is launchpop.com and I have an Instagram where sometimes I post about work, but mostly I like to post about personal life and, you know, I want to let people know I have more than a life than just work. (laughs) So it's each hand designs on Instagram. Amazing. We will link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Eva. It's been so awesome. Of course. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at the Peers Project. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, Peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.